Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. My name is Christian Byrne and I'm very pleased to be joined today by uh, Professor Liz Sanchi. She's an equine surgeon at Kansas State University. Uh, she's had an interest in, uh, particularly in the stifle and in orthopedics of the juvenile horse, so very pleased to have her with us today. Uh, and she's going to be discussing her paper, Stifle Radiography in Thoroughbreds from 6 to 18 Months of Age. That was published uh, with colleagues from Equine Medical Associates in Kentucky and uh, some other colleagues at Texas Equine Hospital. Uh, and the paper is currently um, on EVE Early View. Thanks for joining us today, Liz. Thank you very much, Christian. Uh, so I think useful to have a talk initially just about some of the background um, and some of these points are covered in sort of the introduction of the of the paper. But what conditions are we primarily talking about when we are considering stifle disease in the young horse? Well, mostly we're, we're talking about those conditions that have traditionally been referred to as osteochondrosis. Um, and so that's largely in the femoral patellar joint. It's on the lateral trochlear ridge, although, of course, the medial can be affected and then in the medial femoral joint, uh, you can see usually lucencies uh, such as bone cysts. Okay. And what about the significance of these lesions that we see? Obviously, they're, like you say, they're, they're quite a common finding. Um, what do we know about them in terms of uh, what that means for the horse and, and about their development? So, you know, there's, there's kind of two phases that we need to consider uh, because, you know, commercial sales have for the last decade or so routinely included uh, sets of radiographs. And so uh, it's important for veterinarians and odors to understand the significance of radiographic abnormalities, which may or may not be clinically affecting the horse. Um, but then there also are, of course, those lesions that can ultimately uh, affect performance. And so we've kind of got those two tracks working. Some lesions do both, um, but some lesions are, are merely a, a blemish, shall we say. And so it's important to know which ones we need to be overly concerned about and others which we can dismiss out of hand. Okay, that's great. So in terms of the aims for this paper, what were you, what sort of questions were you looking to answer um, going forward from this? Well, um, so it, it is in central Kentucky, but in many places, including uh, the United Kingdom, you know, horses are radiographed uh, before sale uh, as what, you know, usually is called a survey set, which is to try and figure out what sort of things uh, horses have, which may affect their saleability in some number of months in the future. Uh, some things uh, can also be addressed surgically. And so in a sense, we're sort of cleaning up the radiographs so that they're not an issue uh, at the sale. Uh, and so those are the reasons that horses are radiographed usually around six months of age uh, before the weanling sale. Uh, the second period when they are radiographed is usually around 12 months of age, which is sort of the survey sets before the yearling sale. Okay, that's great. Um, and obviously you hinted there, obviously radiographs are usually the key modality for us investigating this. And that's certainly some parts of the material methods goes into some detail about describing that. So which radiographic views were you using to contribute to your assessment of the stifles in this study? So we used three radiographic projections um, 
for each set of radiographs. So it would be a total of six views at any one time period for each horse. And so uh, for each stifle, we obtained a lateral to medial projection, a caudal lateral to cranial medial oblique projection, and then a caudal to cranial projection. Perfect. So I guess it's fairly standard views for what we're dealing with. Um, but obviously, uh, you've probably had quite a lot of experience from looking at these now. So I wondered if just as sort of hints and tips at this point for uh, each of those views, if there's anything that you see as common errors or uh, things that you do in particular to try and optimize the, the value of the radiographs that you take from uh, that context. So let's let's take each one in turn, starting with the lateral to medial projection. You know, the most important thing about that projection is, is that you're able to fully evaluate both the medial and the lateral trochlear ridge. Also important is, of course, to be able to see all of the patella in a perfect world. And so we want to be able to see those three articular surfaces on the lateral to medial projection. Um, it actually is just the tiniest bit caudal to a straight lateral to medial projection because the horse's hind limbs have some external rotation to them. And so if you shoot it just a hair behind what looks like a straight lateral projection of the stifle, you will adequately project both, uh, both of the trochlear ridge and the underside of the patella. Mm -hmm. So that's for the lateral to medial projection. Uh, on the oblique, you know, Basically, it's the same positioning, only just a little bit caudal. I think in the books it says 30 uh, degrees, uh, which is probably a reasonable place to start. The purpose of that view is to project the medial femoral condyle and the lateral trochlear ridge sort of in isolation or in silhouette. Um, and you want to be able to see the medial femoral tibial joint space. Uh, and then uh, the third projection is, of course, the caudal to cranial. And uh, that People can get confused on that one. For me, what works the best is to take the plate and place it on the flat cranial part of the stifle. So just the flat part, right against the tibia, and then mm -hmm. have it extend proximally from that. And then you shoot it uh, from a proximal to distal angle um, and aim just a hair above the thinnest part of the stifle. So when you're standing behind the horse, the thinnest part of the stifle is basically the top of the tibia. And so if you shoot just a hair above that, you should be well positioned uh, on the medial femorotibial joint. And what you want to do is, is you want to be able to see the medial and lateral femoral condyles uh, isolated from the proximal aspect of the tibia and even their axial aspects uh, as well, which can be important, particularly on the medial femoral condyle. Okay, that's great. Really useful uh, practical tips, I think, from that. So that's perfect. Um, next thing to talk about, I guess, is the interval that the radiographs were taken at. So, um, in this study, primarily, they were taken at sort of six months, 12 months, and 18 months. Uh, was that something you had a, a choice in, or was that, as you said, you know, sometimes this comes down to timing of sales and things like that? How did you um, end up having those sort of intervals? Well, it, it was because those are the common places uh, or common time periods when we collect the radiographs for the sales. Um, the six months would be like a survey for before a weanling sale. 12 months would be survey before the yearling sale. And then 18 months or so is roughly the time of the yearling sale. Now, I should point out that there were pretty wide margins on each of those. Uh, the average ended up being those numbers. But there were pretty wide margins on either side of that. And that's just the result of a busy equine practice in the breeding season. And, you know, people getting them when they could get them. And so, uh -huh. you know, that's just the way that works. Yeah. Great. Okay. So then, 
Next thing to move on to is how you assess the radiographs. Um, and we'll, I guess, discuss a little bit about each of the lesions that you um, identified. So what are the typical features that you're looking for to define a, a trochlear ridge lesion, I guess, for either medial or lateral, but I guess most commonly we're dealing with lateral trochlear ridge. So the first thing that I always have to tell myself, because I'm bad at this, is remembering to look at the soft tissues, right? To try and get an appreciation for the amount of effusion that is present, which will key you in to the fact that there might be something that you need to focus on. So once we get past the um, soft tissue issues, then you want to look at the sort of leading margin, the cranial margin of both the lateral and medial trochlear ridges. And what you're looking for is it should be sort of a smooth surface uh, without uh, any um, shallow lucencies or deeper sclerosis in the bone. Um, that's the healthy trochlear ridge appearance. You can see a trabecular bone pattern all the way out to the margin, and then there'll be the thinnest little whisper of what looks like a subchondral plate. Um, that's what you're looking for. Uh, and if you want to you know, be more advanced, you also want to have a look at the intertrochlear groove, which is actually the third sort of silhouette that you can see uh, on the lateral to medial projection of a, of a stifle. Don't forget to look at the underside of the patella. That's another thing I have to remind myself to do. Yes, another thing that's probably easy to slip your mind if you're it focused is. on yeah. one particular thing. Um, and in terms of the definitions that you made for dimensions and things of these, was that Based on previous experience, how did you devise those sort of dimensions? It, yeah, it was based on previous experience. Uh, you'll see a lot of sort of flattened trochlear ridges. Uh, so first of all, the proximal lateral trochlear ridge is the most common location for lesions that are significant. And so you want to give that a really hard look. Uh, the medial trochlear ridge actually is more commonly affected in its distal, say, two-thirds. Um, but in the lateral trochlear ridge, which is the most common location, it's the proximal aspect. And so what you want to do is look carefully at that area to look for, as I said, lucencies um, and sclerosis. And so we, we didn't include all the horses that were just a little flat, um, but didn't have any deeper sclerosis, because if we included all of them, then they're it sort of, you know, we would have had more than 50% of the horses were abnormal. And mm -hmm. we've seen those, that doesn't bother those horses. And so it's no problem. If, however, they're flat and the bone underneath it is sclerotic, suggesting that it is experiencing um, abnormal stress, then yep. we would include those horses. So anything that ha was flat had deeper sclerosis. And then if they had lucencies, this we're sort of going from mild, moderate to severe. If they had lucencies, then that sort of moved up our level of concern. And then, of course, the severe ones would have larger areas of lucency and sclerosis and sometimes fragments. Okay. And the medial femoral condyle is obviously another uh, site that draws our attention. What were your sort of critiques for that sort of area? So again, uh, just a flat medial femoral condyle, we, we considered them normal. So, and you'll, you'll see a lot of them that just, and whether it's an angle of the radiograph or true flattening, it, it can be hard to, to figure out. But if they were just flat, no deeper sclerosis, we considered those normal. When we considered them abnormal was when that flattening was included with deeper bone sclerosis. And then just like with the trochlear ridges, uh, varying degrees of increases in lucency. Um, interesting to me, 
was that in the youngest horses, uh, most of these lucencies were axial on the medial femoral condyle. You know, sort of the classic medial femoral condylar cyst is, is very central. Uh, and mm-hmm. by central, I mean on the caudocranial projection. It, it is cranial on the medial femoral condyle, but it is in the center. But in the horses that were six months in that area of age, they had sort of fuzzy, indistinct lucencies on the axial aspect of the medial femoral condyle, which was interesting to me. Okay. You, you hardly ever see those in adult horses, you know. No, and that might be something I think we'll discuss a little bit later in the results. Um, so I think an interesting thing to pick up at that point. Um, another thing that's probably just worth highlighting is um, proximal mediatrocular ridge lesions or blemishes, I guess, that you describe them as in this is this population. Um, is that something that we see in just in thoroughbreds or is that across other breeds? And are they always blemishes? Um, any uh, thoughts about those in particular? Well, sure. I always have a theory. Whether it's right or not is a separate issue. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, so you'll see those and they can both be what I call furry. You know, they're just irregular, sort of small, and there can be multiple things there, but they don't have fragments and they don't really have deeper sclerosis. They just look furry. Um, uh, And and there is evidence that uh, the trochlear ridge, particularly the medial trochlear ridge, ossifies sort of from distal to proximal. So it's probably a delay in the uh, advancing ossification front of the epiphysis um, filling in. Um, I've never seen one of those be a lesion. And yes, I have seen them in quarter horses, but I Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of experience with other breeds to say. Um, I will just say if probably if we radiographed, you know, a bunch of six-month-old warm bloods, uh, and certainly I think in quarter horses, we would see a similar thing. But I have, I have not seen those. I've seen them concern people, but I've not seen those be like a clinical osteochondrosis with effusion or lameness, which isn't, okay, to, say, but, which isn't to say they can't do it, but I've not seen that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's excellent. Um, and so you were asking, asking about why they might appear that way. I think, yes. I think it's because uh, the proximal aspect of the medial trochlear ridge is the place where the, and I want to be, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be careful. I'm going to be not careful and explain why I'm not being careful. Whatever we're calling the reciprocal apparatus, I, I, on a paper recently, I was rebuked for calling that part of the reciprocal apparatus uh, because it's not the part that's right over the tibia, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, the yep. superficial digital flexor and the peroneus tertius, I guess, is the official reciprocal apparatus. But I guess maybe if I say the stay apparatus, which mm-hmm. includes to me the quadriceps and the patella and all those things. Anyway, that being said, that medial trochlear ridge is the place where the patella, for lack of a better term, kind of hangs up, right? And allows, yep. the, allows the horse to rest without as much muscular effort. And I think, um, I think it's, it's excess of that that sort of delays that ossification front from being as smooth as it might be. But it's not a pathology. It, it generally sorts itself out. That's my story anyway. Okay, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting to take away. And that's sort of a unique area, isn't it, I guess, in that respect. So that's interesting. Uh, okay, so um, next thing, I guess, to discuss is that the horses obviously were then sort of categorized into normal exercise or exercised and exercise restricted groups. Yep. Um, and what was the um, division between those? How was, how was that sort of categorized? Well, um, 
it was because we had five farms that were involved and one farm would let us do whatever we asked them to do. Um, and so we took the uh, horses on that farm that had radiographic abnormalities at six months and confined them as opposed to the other four farms that wouldn't do what we told them. And so they just, they just did whatever they wanted, you know, uh, and exercise the horses normally. And so by restricted, mm -hmm. as soon as I say that, you know, people, you know, nobody likes to clean stalls and nobody likes to see babies shut up in stalls, <laughs> in no. stalls and no one likes to see them shut up all day long. And I get it. Um, but for our purposes, restricted exercise, typically in central Kentucky, horses uh, are housed in groups of, depending on where you are, between six and 10 uh, weedlings. And um, they're in a pretty big field running around like maniacs, developing mm. their musculoskeletal system and their cardiopulmonary system. And that's all to the good. However, once they develop, a big, and I, I guess I should say, I think that all of these uh, lesions are the result of trauma. I'm, I'm not a fan of any other particular uh, pathophysiology. So basically mm -hmm. what we're, we're talking about is restricting their exercise so they don't make themselves worse and give them an opportunity to heal. And so, so what we take these horses with RA and we put them in a paddock, usually an acre or less with one buddy, cause they need to have a buddy. Um, and they have, again, in central Kentucky, a lot of those horses will get 20 to 22 hours of daily exercise. And we would put these horses in a paddock with a buddy for say 12 to 16 hours. That was, unless they were really bad and really clinical. And then we would put them in a stall for a week or so to try and get it to calm down mm -hmm. or maybe a round pen, you know, a 30 meter pen, uh, yeah. just to keep them from being crazy, you know. Okay. And another point I guess uh, worth making is that the restricted horses, some of them had more frequent radiographic examinations and then were allowed to, uh, if they became radiographically normal, went back to a more normal exercise regime. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And so typically we would check those horses at 30 to 60 day intervals. And these radiographs were often not what, you know, you might call a full set. You know, if we knew a horse had a lateral trochlear ridge lesion, they'd just bring it out and we'd shoot a quick lateral. Well, not me, but the other guys would shoot mm -hmm. a quick lateral just to see how it was doing. And once we saw that the lesion had started to head it to smooth out, to be less effusive, to sort of be, have less sclerosis, um, that usually happens somewhere between 30 and 60 days. Most horses were back with their big group in the big pasture by 60 to 90 days. Uh, we were unable to prove um, that statistically uh, those horses were better off as yearlings uh, than the horses that were allowed at lib exercise uh, because of the numbers in the, in the paper. But mm -hmm. um, I still think my just my opinion is, is that clinically uh, they heal better than the horses that run out loose. Okay. Um, and I guess just worth commenting that this, the subsequent sets that you did sort of set two and set three radiographs, they were just examined in the same way as you did for, for the first set of radiographs. So looking for the same, yes. um, same parameters again. Yeah, those were the, those were, those were full sets at, at 12 and 18 months. Great. Um, and I guess worth just mentioning briefly, in terms of the analysis of the data you've got, what particular areas did you focus at comparisons or trends were you particularly looking at? Well, we were just trying to see if there was anything from the signal mint um, that would, you know, give us an idea about uh, what horses were more likely to develop them. And so we looked at things like gender and, you know, uh, you know, uh, rough weight, estimated weight, things of that nature. And we weren't ever really able to come up with anything that was 
worth talking about. You know what I mean? Okay. As, statist- yep. as statistically significant. I highlighted in the paper here, let's say gender, lesion location, and exercise and outcomes were summarized as whether or not they had RA. And it wasn't worth really talking about, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that, in that case, we'll move on uh, and talk about proportions of horses that had radiographic abnormalities at six months um, and where those were particularly distributed. Yep. So uh, in the six-month-old horses, the vast majority of um, lesions were in the lat- proximal aspect of the lateral, tro- lateral trochlear ridge, and that was 25% of the horses had something in there th- that was more than just flattening. So if you look at the entire group, Two-thirds of them we would consider to have normal radiographs, so one-third of them had abnormal radiographs. Of that one-third, you know, three-quarters or 25% of the total were lateral trochlear ridge, and then the rest were a combination of a small number of medial trochlear ridge and then medial femoral condyle lesions. Mm-hmm. And the uh, medial femoral condyle lesions, you already kind of hinted at that they might have a different location to older horses. Just uh, any sort of repeat repetition or summary of where the appearance of those typically was? Yeah, I thought this was uh, interesting. I have a, I have an interest in the, the lesions of the medial femoral condyle. And uh, while we were able to see kind of big swings in the prevalence of lesions in the lateral trochlear ridge, the medial femoral condyle always stayed at around eight percent um but interestingly uh, to me in the first six months there were those axial lucencies um and then they went to more central lucencies as the horses got older and heavier um all of the axial lesions healed um but the uh central ones showed varying degrees of healing okay so you guess certainly a useful take home there just in terms of if you detect those in a six month uh uh, set of radiographs and it's probably optimistic hopefully that the axial ones will heal yeah i i mean i i think that's what we see in our regular days but this is certainly what we saw in in these horses and so what i would tell people is, is if you're taking a survey set of a six month old people trying to prep it for a sale or something and you see that lesion i would recommend that you do some reduction in um exercise amounts um mm-hmm. i know i know in europe that um you guys tend to not have as big fields and so, such long turnout. So maybe it's not as big a problem for you, but we certainly do see it um, in central Kentucky a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then overall, considering changes from set one to set two, I guess there's kind of two camps to think of here is the horses that were normal at set one. How did they appear at set two? So the majority of horses, I th- just rough numbers, I'm going to say 80% of, of the lesions healed. Um, from set one to set two, which was great. Um, there were a small number of horses that were normal at set one that developed them at set two. Um, yeah, and I would put that number at about 10%. You know, it wasn't very high. Um, yeah. And any factors that influenced whether those lesions did or didn't heal between those two stages, so lesions, lesion size or anything like that, or was that not no, something we that was lo- really we, apparent? We looked at, you know, we measured them length and depth, and it didn't. we couldn't make it statistically significant. So there was no difference in the size of the lesion and whether it healed or not. Now, I think that being said, I think especially at, at the first set of radiographs, we didn't have any really terrible ones. You know, the, mm. the terrible ones showed up when they were yearlings. Um, so, uh, 
I think if we'd had a really bad one, which sometimes you get in six months old, that that might have. But you'd need, you know, probably a thousand horses to prove it. You know. Yeah. And I guess we'll move on to a similar question for uh, set three in terms of the changes that we saw uh, between set two and set three in particular, probably of interest. Yeah, I mean, it was the same deal. There were a small number of horses that developed them from set two to set three um, and about the same number of horses that lot, you know, it healed them between set two and set three. So they had a much, much less uh, movability in their numbers. Uh, as the older they got. Mm-hmm. And obviously you said that some of the, uh, some of these were sort of at the mercy of the, the stud in terms of what happened uh, with them. And I guess always worth commenting, did you lose any of the horses in the study? So by the time they got to set three, they weren't no longer being able to follow up at all. Yeah, well, that's right. We lost, um, I don't have the number in front of me. I want to say 27 horses. So we started with 141 and we had Mm -hmm. those for both set one and set two. And then by set three, we were down to 114. And I think that's 27 horses Um, that despite, you know, you know, they got, they'd already gotten shipped off to Florida to be trained or nobody knows anything. And, and I think some (laughs) of the, I think some of those horses, um, because we had a higher percentage of horse. So 50% of the horses that had lat- bad lateral trochlear ridge lesions at set two were lost by set three. So mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain that a good number of those horses got given away because they weren't going to make a sales horse or probably a race horse. Um, and so that's the source of some of the loss. Um, there were some normal horses that were also lost too, just because of practical matters of uh, heading off to, you know, being trained somewhere else. So that's the way mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. Um, another thing to comment on is you had some findings in terms of the laterality of abnormalities. So what yeah. did you find for that and how do you explain what you found <laughs> with that? Uh, I, well, I laughed when I saw that question because, y- yes, um, we published, uh, God, it's probably a decade ago uh, when we were looking at medial femoral condylar cysts, and we noticed that, you know, if they were unilateral, they 75% of the time they were right, which doesn't really make any sense, right? I mean, mm, why, why yeah. would it be that way? Um, and experience over the last decade or, showed, sh- or so has shown that in thoroughbreds, uh, that is true. When they're unilateral, they're right. Um, and we also found a similar thing with um, other lesions, uh, I believe lateral trochlear ridge as well. And it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, why would it be? Uh, mm. Uh, this is kind of, you know, one of my soapbox things is people talk about, you know, genetics being the cause of medial femoral condylar cysts. And, you know, my argument always is, well, I don't think so. But if it was, why would there be more right, you know, a gene for more right stifles to have cysts than left stifles, right? And yep. so, so it doesn't make any sense. So I think I, I do believe that all, all these lesions are uh, tra- traumatic, um, whether it's uh, sustained low-level cyclical loading or bad luck, you know. Um, and so all I can say is, is there is some discussion about laterality of gait in young horses. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's hard data to come by. Um, but there is some suggestion that uh, the left lead is p- preferred uh, in young horses. And if that's the case, then, you know, after the suspension phase, when they, you know, all the legs are off the ground, when they land, mm. when they land, they're going to take all their weight with their right hind. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know that that's true. That's just my story. Yeah. 
No, that's definitely an interesting, you know, interesting thoughts. And these are the sort of things, I guess, that get thrown up by these sort of studies that maybe pull things into question like that. Yep. But I don't know that that's true. Yeah. Uh, any association that you notice between the location of the abnormalities and the timing of their development and how these persisted? Uh, so there's an overall uh, summary of any of those. Um, sorry, again, I, I don't understand the question. So the location of the abnormalities that we had uh, and whether that had any effect on the likelihood of them persisting, so uh, trochlear ridge lesions versus um, condylocysts. Well, um, not so, at least. yeah, uh, not so much for the trochlear ridges, although I will say that, uh, the ones that persisted lateral trochlear ridge lesions, uh, were proximal, but they also had a distal component and I'm not really sure how that happened. Typically in young horses, you never see it anywhere, but the proximal aspect of lateral trochlear ridge in the older horses, um, you did see it distally and, and, but of course the study ended and they were that age. So that may be yeah. why we saw them persist. The one thing I will say is, is that when you have central lucencies in the medial femoral condyle, those are less likely to heal. Remember I told you all the axial ones healed, mm, but, yeah. but, all, but the central ones didn't all, it didn't all heal. And I have a, a theory about that too. If you, if you would oh, indulge yeah. me. Yeah, no, yeah. Definitely. We want to hear all these things. Yeah. Well, so again, I don't know that this is true, but I think in the young horses, um, so there's a little bit of uh, terminal internal rotation of the femur uh, in extension uh, in the human and in the dog. We don't know that it's true in the horse, but let's say they all do it, right? And that's mm -hmm. constrained by the cruciate ligaments. Um, but I think, in, and, and it also is developed by the shape of the condyles and, and the joint itself. And I think uh, in these young horses, they've got these sort of... <sighs> more amorphous, more rounded, uh, shape to their condyles. Actually, uh, Dr. Laverty and I and others did a study recently where we looked at all this and she did some really great micro CTs. That stuff will be coming out. in I think osteoarthritis and cartilage very soon, which shows how the condyle changes over time in age. And so I think those joints aren't as congruent as they'd like to be as they should be, or that mm -hmm. they're uh, cruciate ligaments aren't as robust as they must be. And so what happens, I think, is that we don't have terminal internal rotation of the femur. And instead, basically what we get is that axial side of the medial femoral condyle banging up against that myset, which yeah. is how we get the, those axial lucencies. But because they're young and they still have growth cartilage uh, and uh, maybe because the ligaments toughen up, uh, eventually a more efficient, effective uh, kinematics of that joint is uh, restored, and that's why they heal and don't persist. But the central ones are the result of heavier, bigger horses pounding around, and it's right on the weight-bearing surface where there's, mm. no, where there's no meniscus, and it is really hard to escape that stress on the medial femoral condyle. That's why they, and also because they don't have growth cartilage there anymore, and they're just less likely to heal. Anyway, that, that's another free theory for you. Yeah. No, it's another interesting one. Definitely, I think you know that they they seem to manifest themselves quite differently. So I think, like you say, it's definitely worth considering that there might be different pathophysiologies between the two. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of relating your study to what we already know and. Some of this work is obviously, as you kind of hinted at, has been done in different breeds, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. particularly warm bloods. Um, how do you think in terms of the findings of your study, any assessment of how that might relate to other breeds like warm bloods or quarter horses and things like that? 
So uh, I'll deal with the quarter horses first and then go on to the warm bloods because I've had more experience with the quarter horses. The one thing I'll say, and I haven't done this statistically, but it is my impression that quarter horses don't favor their right stifle when they're uh, unilateral. Um, as a matter of fact, they're either equal or they may actually favor their left a little bit more, which again is sort of interesting. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um and then with regards to the warm blood, the one thing that we noticed, I think it was, uh, I should look at my, I should know this. I think it's Dr. Dick. I don't want to get it wrong. Um, and I'm probably not even pronouncing his name right. But there was a one of the original papers, yes, uh, with Dr. Van Weeren et al. in 1999, did a similar study looking at warm bloods. And the thing that they said is they thought the point of no return in the stifle uh, in the warm blood was about eight months. And this was the study where the horses were euthanized by 11 months, so they didn't follow them any further. So that's kind of a limitation. But they said Mm -hmm. the the point of no return for um, changes in the stifle, which is you've got what you've got, was eight months. And that was not the case in the thoroughbreds. I think you could say 12 months for the trochlear ridge, although every every once in a while there's a horse that does something weird later. (laughs) Um, And for the medial femoral condyle, it's probably more like 18 months because I've certainly seen horses that looked pretty good at 13, 14 months, and then they get assists, and they're, you know, 18 or 20 mm. months. Um, so I think that point of no return, for lack of a better term, is a bit later in the thoroughbred than it is in the warm bloods. Okay, great. And I guess one thing that we've kind of touched on in terms of exercise restriction, um, whether this is directly from this paper or just your general experience, um, sounds like you're advocating to an extent limitation for for some lesions and actually you know that like you say that the repeat radiography is probably the way to go and you might see a change quite quickly in those is that is that a fair way to summarize that yes i think so um i would say within 30 to 60 days as i said you you should be seeing it head in the right direction if it's going to do so and um we did end up having one horse from our restricted exercise group that required surgery to Hmm to fix a lateral trochlear ridge or remove the fragments from a lateral trochlear ridge OCD. But it was just exactly the kind that you'd want for the sale. It was 20 millimeters, couple of fragments. They pulled out easily. They looked beautiful afterwards. And those horses, you know, there's no evidence. There Actually, there is evidence that those horses race just as well as horses without other changes. And we certainly don't, um, I don't know, uh, say that it's bad when we're looking at them for buyers at the sale. Most uh-huh. people most people should say this horse is going to be fine. Yeah. And one I guess we touched briefly about limitations of, of studies like this is where they you know have to have a cutoff at some point. Um, what would you say the limitations for for this study that you've performed would be? Well, um, the biggest thing is is I think for me not being able to follow each horse to the very end of it. That's number one, because it would have been useful to see those horses that got called for OCD, what happened to those mm-hmm. lateral trochlear ridges. Um, that would be my, my biggest thing. The other thing was the range in ages. You know, it would be great to be able to walk in and shoot every horse when they're 60 days of age. But mm. as, as you know, that's not the way the breeding season works. And so no. um, those are the two things. It, it might have also been useful to um, have Obviously, you can always do it with bigger data, um, and we might be able to get some statistical significance if we had a few more horses. Yeah. Okay, great. And I guess the natural progression from from this sort of discussion is what do you think is the next study that we need to perform in this area? Is it going to be a similar um, 
maybe with a longer time scale or is there something different that you'd like to see done next? Well, it would be great to get um, more radiographs of young horses, right? And so, yeah. you know, because you know how it is if a horse gets a puffy stifle and it's three months of age and you take a radiograph, you know, because the uh, advancing uh, ossification front is so irregular, you know, people are worried that it's infected when it's just normal, you know? And so it would be great if we were able to follow more horses earlier and later um, and then, um, you know, follow them up through their performance careers. Mm. So um, one of the things that we're working on now is, you know, we, we read all these horses at the sale and there have been some studies that um, show prevalence of lesions and their ability to race, but you need big data sets in order to get more robust sort of statistics. So um, I'd sure like to to have a better feel for how important these lesions are when they exist early and then later in their career. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I think really interesting, covered a lot of aspects of practice that will be useful for a lot of people and, you know, gives more food for thought for uh, things that we still need to answer. Um, so thank you very much for your time on that. My pleasure, Christian. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Education podcast. More on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash eve.